Welcome to Turning Point. With the approach of the holiday season comes a renewed appreciation for God's blessings, perhaps even more so in times of hardship, as Dr. David Jeremiah shares today from Daniel chapter 6. Sometimes God uses trials to make you thankful for blessings you would have otherwise missed. Here's David to introduce his special message, Nevertheless, Give Thanks. And thank you for joining us today. We are uh, in the season of Thanksgiving, and as believers, that should be all the time, but a special emphasis upon it always comes during this particular week in the month of November. And so all this week, we're going to talk about it. Every single day, Monday through Friday, you're going to hear about Thanksgiving. We'll get you ready for a real Christ-centered Thanksgiving celebration. You know, um, we've had some difficult days in the past, but one of the things that has crossed my mind over and over again is that when some of the peripheral things are taken away, when we're left with the basic things, we become very thankful for the basic things. We became very thankful for having enough food to put on the table, for a roof over your head, uh, for uh, warm friendships, all of the things that so easily slip by in times of, of plenty and times of success that we know often as uh, believers. So I'm very grateful that these last days have caused us to go back and take inventory, go back and count our blessings, and name them one by one, and be thankful for what the Lord has done. Before we get into our first Thanksgiving message, I want to remind you that during the month of November, we're making available a very special journal called the Written Word Journal, the Book of Romans. Today, I read a letter from a lady who said she has read the Bible all of her life. She's memorized the Bible. She didn't know why she even took the challenge to write the Bible, but she decided to give it a try. And she said, it's revolutionary. Well, I believe that's true, and I've heard it from many people. If you'd like to have your copy of this journal, this hardback, beautifully designed, Turning Point produced, Book of Romans, the Written Word Journal, we'd love to send it to you, and we'll do it for a gift of any size during the remaining days of November. Simply ask for the Romans Journal when you send your gift today. Well, it's time for Thanksgiving. Nevertheless, give thanks. Even in times of difficulty, we must be people of gratitude and thanksgiving. And there's a passage in the book of Daniel that provides some insight on thanksgiving for such a time. I never really saw this as a thanksgiving passage because I kind of read over two or three of the words in the passage. And then one day it hit me. Verse 10 of Daniel 6, when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went home In his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed, and here's the phrase I kept reading over, and gave thanks before his God. As we view Daniel on his knees before God in his time of great stress and danger, we can learn three important lessons that we can transform our lives by following. First of all, Daniel teaches us to be thankful in spite of the pressure that is against us. You know the story of Daniel, but let me just summarize the context of this moment in Daniel's life. It all began when the king 
put Daniel over the whole kingdom to rule it. And Daniel's peers found out about this, and they were very jealous, insanely jealous. And so they tried to figure out a way that they could get Daniel taken out of their experience. They wanted to get him killed. They wanted Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den so they would never have to deal with him again. So they tricked the king into signing a decree that for 30 days, nobody in the entire kingdom could pray to anyone except to the king. They knew that Daniel would never abide by such a rule. They knew if they could get the king to sign that rule, they had Daniel just where they wanted him. The decree was signed. It was established according to the rules of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be changed. As you remember, the Persians believed that if the king said it, it was infallible. So if he changed it, that meant he made a mistake the first time, so that would never happen. If the king signed it, it was done. It was a done deal, no appeal, nothing could change. Once the king signed that decree, if Daniel violated it, there was nothing that could be done to save him. And while this is going on, obviously Daniel is aware of it. He knows what is happening. And he knows that his demise is being orchestrated by his so-called friends. One of the consistent themes in the Bible is how unjust the treatment of God's people can sometimes be. Daniel certainly is an illustration of that. But when Daniel heard that the decree had been signed, the scripture says he went to his home, and as he was accustomed to do, he knelt down on his knees three times every day and gave thanks to God. Daniel probably had a prayer chamber on the top of his house, which would have been very usual to have happened in those days. And the Bible says that at the evening and the morning and the noon, three times every day, Daniel would go home to his house and pray. He prayed toward Jerusalem, the scripture says. He was expressing his faith in the promises of God. It was an act of faith for an exiled Jew to pray toward Jerusalem. By doing that, they were saying, we believe that God's promise of taking us out of captivity will ultimately happen. Notice, Daniel didn't change when the pressure was on. The pressure in Daniel's life didn't drive him to despair. It didn't drive him to discouragement. It didn't drive him to defeat. It drove him to his knees. And he went home, and he prayed, and he gave thanks to God as it was his custom to do. Thanksgiving is not an emotion. Thanksgiving is an obedient response. Let me tell you something I've learned about how we work as human beings. Did you know that you cannot command your emotion? It's impossible to do that. You can't get up in the morning and say, emotion, be happy. Emotion, be angry. Your emotions are kind of like the renegade part of your life. You cannot command your emotion, but you can command your will. How many of you have ever gone on a diet that you wanted to go on? You didn't get up one morning and say, I just feel so much like a diet today. No, you realize you need to go on a diet. Here's what happens in our lives, the way we function. Our will drives our emotion. Some people say, I don't know if I'm saved or not because I don't feel saved. Well, that's immaterial. 
Whether you feel saved or not, it's a matter of whether you are saved. And if you are saved, it's because by your will, you accepted Jesus Christ. You made a decision to Christ. I often look like this. I think I got this from Campus Crusade. Your will is like the engine that's pulling the train. Your emotion is the caboose coming behind it. What your will says, your emotion will ultimately adjust to. So how do we apply that to thanksgiving? We don't get up in the morning and say to ourselves, our emotion, I want to feel thankful today. Emotions, be thankful. No, we get up and obediently express our gratitude to the Lord. And along the way, as we're obedient to the Lord, our emotions flow in behind the will and begin to change the way we feel. Before we go to the next principle, let me just take a moment and help you again understand that Daniel was grateful because he taught himself to be grateful. The Bible gives us this little clue. He went to his home to pray, and at the end of the verse it says, as he was accustomed to do in the aforetime. In other words, as he taught himself to do. Number two, you can be thankful in spite of the problems that affect you. When Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went home and gave thanks. We exhibit a degree of thanksgiving often in reverse proportion to the amount of blessings we've received. I think that's the most amazing thing. And I'd like to say that as I've watched this over the years that I've been a pastor and a leader, it's pretty true. You would think that in most organizations, generosity begins at the top and the people with the most would be the most generous. But that is not the way it is. It's in reverse proportion to what we have. It's much harder for people who have much to be as generous as those who don't have as much. Daniel knew that he was headed to the lion's den. If God did not come through in his behalf, his jealous friends had manipulated the king into a decree that would cause his execution. But even though he knew this, Daniel knew he could trust his God. And that takes us back to the key verse for this whole study. And that verse is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In my estimation, this is the one that gets us sometimes, and it may be more insightful from this book than any of the other two. Here it is. Be thankful in spite of the pain that is around you. Let me explain. As you remember, when Daniel was taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, he was among 70 hostages that were taken there. Isn't it interesting that you read the whole book of Daniel and you never read about any of these hostages except Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Everybody wants to know what happened to the rest. Well, they probably were folded into the Babylonian culture. What we do know is all of the rest of the nation, all the Jews, were captives in Babylon. They were literally the slaves in Babylon. But Daniel had risen to the top by the providence of God. He was living in the lap of luxury. Though he did not eat the king's food and drink the king's wine, he lived in the king's digs. He lived in a palace. He had everything he needed. He had no issues whatsoever. And we know that Daniel was a very compassionate man and a man who prayed to God for his people. We know that his heart was broken when the people went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and only half of those who could have gone went and only half of those who went ever did much about the temple. Daniel cared about the people. So here's the question. How could Daniel be thankful 
if everybody else was in such misery. I remember when I went through my experiences with lymphoma cancer that three contemporary leaders in the church got sick almost the same time I did. These were men I knew and respected. In the providence of time, all three of those men succumbed to their disease and died. And I would often sit in my office and wonder why Almighty God let me live, almost to the point of sometimes feeling guilty because I knew for a fact I wasn't nearly as worthy as those guys were. And I realized that if I weren't careful, I could focus on what didn't happen for others and lose the gratitude in my heart for what did happen for me. But Daniel gave thanks while his entire nation was in captivity. He gave thanks while he was in the top echelon of the government and many of his countrymen were living far below the poverty level. And so the question that comes from that, is it decent for us to rejoice and be glad while life this day is miserable for other people? When we see pain around us, we should not feel guilty. We should feel grateful. God has been so good to us. He has blessed us beyond measure. And it is out of our gratitude to God that we should then minister to those who are in need. But if we allow our lives to be controlled by guilt, not only will we lose the joy that God intends for us to have, we will have nothing to offer to those whose lives are full of need. I believe that one of the things I've been learning along the way in my life is that when I don't know why something is happening, it's because God is up to something. How many of you know God is always up to something? And we don't always know what that is. We try to figure it out. And if we happen to dial in to what God is doing at a time when it's not really that much of a benefit to us at that moment, we have a tendency to judge God for his whole plan just because we happen to poke our nose in where we shouldn't be looking at what he's doing at our moment. When we get to heaven someday, I don't know how much retrospect will be granted. I do believe we'll have some memory but I have a feeling a lot of us are going to say when we get to heaven, oh, so that's what you were up to. And we'll look back with a smile. Most of us know the story of the first Thanksgiving from Pilgrim's perspective, but I read a beautiful story of God being up to something when none of the players who were involved in the story had a clue what was going on. It goes something like this. Sometime around 1608, more than a decade before the pilgrims arrived, a group of English traders sailed to what today is Plymouth, Massachusetts. When the trusting Wampanoag Indians came out to trade with these visitors, the traders took them prisoner, transported them to Spain, and sold them into slavery. You may not have read that story. It was an unimaginable horror. But God was up to something. And God had a plan, especially for one of those captured Indians, a young boy whose name was Squanto. Squanto was bought by a well-meaning Spanish monk who treated him well and taught him the Christian faith. Squanto eventually made his way to England and worked in the stables of a man named John Slaney. 
John Slaney sympathized with Squanto's desire to go back to his homeland where his people were. And Slaney promised Squanto that if he behaved himself, he'd put him on the first vessel bound for America. It wasn't until 1619, 10 years after Squanto was first kidnapped, that a ship was found to take him back home. Finally, after a decade of exile and heartbreak, Squanto was on his way back to America. But when he arrived in Massachusetts, more heartbreak awaited him. An epidemic had wiped out Squanto's entire village. You can only imagine what must have gone through his mind. Why had God allowed him to return home against all odds only to find that every single person he knew was dead? A year later, the answer came. A shipload of English families arrived and settled on the very land that once had been occupied by Squanto's people before the epidemic. Squanto went out to meet these English people who were coming to America for the first time, and he greeted pilgrims in English. Can you imagine what a shock that must have been? According to the diary of Pilgrim Governor William Bradford, Squanto became a special instrument sent of God for our good. He showed us how to plant our corn. He showed us where to fish, how to procure other commodities. He was our pilot to bring us to unknown places for our profit and never left us until he died. God was up to something. What was this man to think when he was taken captive? What was he to think when he became the slave of John Slaney? What was he to think when he came back and the reason for his coming back was no longer there? What was he to think when the English people came to his place? And then he discovered that God had a plan for his life. And all the things we experience, some of them so bitter we can hardly speak of them without tears. We must remember, men and women, that we do not see all of this from God's perspective. We only get to dial in in certain places. But I promise you on the authority of the Word of God that my God is up to something in your life. And you may not be at the place you want to be right now, but God is going to take you to the place where he wants you to be and get glory to his name. I heard a story once about a man who was asked why he was always so happy. Why are you always walking around, said his inquisitor, with a smile on your face. The man picked up a binder filled with hundreds and hundreds of handwritten pages, and he explained, Every time somebody does anything kind for me, I write it in this book. And every time I feel good about something, I write it in this book. And the questioner said, I wish I could be as happy as you are. And he said, if you kept a book like I do, you would be. But the book is so big, said his inquisitor, I haven't had many kind things done for me, and I haven't felt very good very often. I might have thought that too, he said, if I hadn't recorded them all. I've learned to see and remember and be grateful for kindness and happiness when they come. You should try it. Every time you doubt, you can go back and read your entries, and you'll be reminded of all that you have to be grateful for. I dare you to try that for one week. See what happens. 
Just get a little notebook, and every time something good happens in your life, put it in the book. Every time you feel grateful for something, write it down. And look back at the end of the week and take inventory. You see, the reason we get negative, the reason we get filled with ingratitude is we fail to see life as it is. The Bible and God helps us to get perspective. And when we see our life in perspective, I don't care what we're going through, we always have something for which to be grateful. As you prepare for your celebration on Thursday, don't go into it absent-mindedly. Don't go into it, well, I'll be glad when this is over, or let's hurry up and eat so we can watch the football game. Go into it with some meaning. Use this annual celebration to drive a stake in the ground with your gratitude and thanksgiving written all over it. Let this be a new beginning for a grateful heart. Did you know that in the Bible there are different passages on thanksgiving? And I thought that as we close out this particular message, we would read some of these passages out loud together as we close this message. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the reference, then we're going to read the verse. Then we'll read the next reference and we'll read the verse and we have to read out loud together so we can stay together. But I want you to do that and just put that back in the memory bank and then concentrate on these words from the Psalms. Here we go. Psalm 35:18. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. Psalm 69:30. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 75:1. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your wondrous works declare that your name is near. Psalm 92.1 It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Psalm 95.2 Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, uh, I hope you take some time to do a little spiritual inventory and give thanks to the Lord for all he's done for you. One of the things we love to do at the end of every year is to take a little conference cruise, usually to the Caribbean. 
we had to not do that uh, for a couple of years because of COVID, but we're back doing it now. And so December 30th, we'll be leaving uh, for this cruise and returning on January the 8th, and we'll visit some beautiful ports in the wonderful warm weather of the Caribbean, and we'd like you to go with us if you can. I mention it now because this is our last week uh, to advertise this event, and it will be very difficult to process any uh, registrations after Friday of this week. If you've been thinking about doing this, this is the week you need to process it. Go to our website. You'll find all the information there. Make your reservation and join us for a time of fellowship and refreshment as we end the old year and begin the new one together. We'll see you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series of special Thanksgiving messages, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine Turning Points and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Romans, the Written Word Journal designed by David to help you know God's Word more deeply by writing the book of Romans in your own hand. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue our Thanksgiving-themed messages on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Modern life can be confusing. There are many things that used to be called evil that are now called good. And many things that used to be called good are now called evil, or at the very least, they are called narrow-minded, intolerant, prejudiced, or old-fashioned. But such confusion is not new. 
God once warned the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah about the same thing. Woe to those, God said, who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Ancient words that we should heed today. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover what God calls good and evil on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.